Last, at the 8 a.m., I had three people bring it back. Just bring it back here. Okay. So, this is uh, something that uh, comes as a daily prayer book at the end of the catechism. It's called the Will of Life. And I give it to our confirmation kids, although it's not in our American prayer book. encourage you to uh, write something in each category or one of the categories as a way to uh, augment your Lent. So let's look at the boldness of his spoken witness to faith in Christ. Bishop Michael Marshall uh, used to give a seminar on evangelism. Now we're not all called to be evangelists, but uh, some people are trying to do a better job of knowing how to share their faith. So he had a three-day seminar on evangelism. And his homework the first night after this day of seminar was uh, to bring up in conversation uh, the word God or religion or spirituality. So just in normal conversation. That's hard enough. It's not that hard. People don't mind talking about our spirituality. The homework for the second night was to talk about the Lord, to bring up the word the Lord in your conversation. And that was a lot harder, because it's a little more specific. And then the third night, he challenged the participants in their conversation to bring up the name Jesus. We hear it all the time, but not always in the right context. But how do we talk about our relationship to Jesus? That's a lot harder. It's interesting this week, as we look at the boldness of our spoken faith, uh, in light of Billy Graham's passing, you probably all heard that Billy Graham passed away on Monday. Just a fantastic uh, spokesperson for God. Probably spoke to more people in this world than any other person alive. His crusades, which he held all over the world for many decades, attracted hundreds of thousands of people standing before him. And then on the TV, millions more seeing him. And he said at the end of, he said, at the end of my life, there's only one person I want to hear well done from, and that's when I stand before the Lord. It's interesting to me, I read that he had uh, visited a penitentiary some years back and he asked the, the prisoners, the inmates, if they would construct his simple pine box for a coffin for him and for his wife, which they did. So he's being laid to rest in this, this pine box that costs him about $200 and he's eventually going to be laid to rest or going to be uh, lying in state or in honor in the rotunda. Uh, the last person to be so honored was Rosa Parks. She usually reserved for presidents and generals and members of Congress. So just a testimony to his great impact. I was interested to hear 
uh, uh, something in 1955, he was asked to go to Cambridge University uh, to, to do the student mission. There was a lot of controversy about that because uh, the academics at Cambridge felt that he was a fundamentalist and would be harmful to their uh, teaching of religion, it's a living of religion. Uh, so there were letters to the Times back and forth why he shouldn't come, people saying why he should come. Uh, the person I worked with, John Stott, uh, was his chief missioner. In 1955, C.S. Lewis had been taken a job, so he moved from Oxford to Cambridge to become the professor of medieval and Renaissance English at Cambridge University at Maudlin. So just before the student mission that Billy Graham was going to do, John Stott arranged for Billy Graham and C.S. Lewis and himself to meet in a room for an hour and talk and pray. And, uh, and C.S. Lewis was very supportive of him. So that was Billy Graham. What about you? How's your spoken witness to your faith in Christ? Is it bold? Can it be bolder? Do you need help? It's daunting sometimes to bring it up. It's easy to feel like you're uh, being holier than thou or that you have all the answers. It's awkward sometimes. So what do we do? There's a story of a fellow in Britain uh, who was struggling. He thought he'd like to become a Christian. But the thing that held him back was that he would have to tell other people. He thought maybe God would make him be an evangelist or a missionary. And so finally one day, a wise old soul said, no, you can come to Christ, you don't have to tell anybody. And he was so excited about this that he knelt on his knees, accepted Christ, rushed downstairs to his family and said, did you know I don't have to tell anybody? <laughs> we speak of what's naturally bubbling up inside of us. And so we need to think for a moment, what does Christ mean to us? What difference has it made in my life? How's it, how does it help me cope? What differences, what do you get out of coming to church Sunday by Sunday? And could you articulate that in a way that would attract other people to join you, to come? Coming to church is not an avoidance of the world, but it's a gathering of the world around the table and going forth and bringing them in, and going forth and bringing them in. The boldness of our spoken witness doesn't need to start with you are a sinner, you need to come to Christ right now. It can start with questions. It can start with affirmations, words of welcome, words of inclusion, words of encouragement. I think it can be questions, can be jokes. I hope you all have a good joke in your back pocket. Did you know that John, it was St. John Chrysostom from the 4th century who said that when Jesus rose from the dead... It was the biggest joke ever played, biggest prank on the evil one. And that at Easter time, we should tell jokes. There should be laughter, raucous laughter at what God has done for us. So if you don't have a good joke, find a good joke. It's often a good entry into a conversation with others. You all have cell phones and you text. Do you text your children to tell them you love them? Do you text them to tell them what you like about them, how proud you are? or your spouses, or your friends. That's a spoken word. To take the time. Boldness doesn't just mean stirring up our courage. Sometimes it just means being creative. Speaking into the world, into the arena. Speaking words of truth. One word of truth is, as we said in confession, if anyone says, I don't have sin, that's a lie. We do have sin. We are in need of a Savior. We need to speak words of love and hope 
and grace and forgiveness, words of welcome, words that highlight the similarities we share rather than the differences that divide us so easily and so pervasively. The book of James, one of my kind of Lenten theme verse this year, is be quick to listen and slow to speak. Doesn't mean we don't speak, but make sure that we've listened first. It's Stephen Covey who says one of his seven habits, seek first to understand and then to be understood so that our boldness of our faith might be uh, questions of inquiry, of seeking to understand people of different perspectives, different situations, that we can get to know them. I sometimes think the less we, uh, the less we speak, the more important it is when we do speak and people will be more willing to listen. We need to speak into the pain and the fear and the despair of our cultural issues. So, need to increase in our boldness, our creativity, our determination to find our voice. When we speak, we're imitating God and reflecting his image. What is the first thing we know about God is that he created the world by speaking it into being. And God said, let there be light. When he sent his son Jesus, he came as the word made flesh. And so we are called to open our mouth, find our voice, and speak God's truth. Number five, I won't go as long as these ones, is personal service to the church and community. It's our own St. Francis who said, preach the gospel everywhere, use words if you have to. So that these two are not opposed, but they go together. They're not mutually exclusive, they're, ne- they're both necessary. We need to talk the talk and walk the walk. In our school, we encourage our mission statement. You can ask any one of our students at school, what's the chief aim of St. Francis? That we're becoming people for others. We're trying to invest ourselves, to have a presence, to be involved and participate, to engage and transform by our presence. Uh, whether it be through, we, you know, our church is doing a great job. You know, the, the Saddlers are sort of uh, blazing the path. We go to the Beacon. I took some kids down to the Beacon last Saturday. We go to support the Lots, Lord of the Streets. We're inv- heavily involved in Woodview. There's a school two miles north of here where kids come to school hungry. And we're getting involved with that. The Church Under the Bridge, the Houston Food Bank. I encourage you and challenge you during Lent to go, go somewhere that's out of your comfort zone and help out and just do something, just to be there to be seen, to be a presence, to take care of this world. We've been, again, looking at the book of James, and it's not just about believing and doing. Now, James and Paul can appear to be in contradiction. Paul says it's not about works, it's about faith. Works is not enough It's got to be about faith. I talk about that as getting into the kingdom. We cannot work our way into the kingdom. We are citizens of the kingdom of God simply because of what Jesus did on the cross and his invitation for us to come. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. Nothing we can do that would enable us or entitle us to get into the kingdom apart from what Christ has done. But having been in the kingdom then what are the works that demonstrate that you're in the kingdom? So that if we have faith in Christ, if we claim to be a part of the kingdom, it should show by what we do. 
And James makes that very clear. So I don't think Paul and James are at contra in conflict that works won't get us into the kingdom. But if we're living in the kingdom, we should be doing some works. We should be doing what Christ has given us an example for and calls us to. And so there's lots of opportunities, and I encourage you to think of one way that you can give your personal service to the community or the church. We desperately need Sunday school teachers. We have some, and we need to support them and uh, share the load. We're going to be having, uh, we need confirmation leaders and vacation Bible school leaders and choir members and ushers and people to go and pray. There's all kinds of things we do in the church. Your announcements in the bulletin today have a lot of them. And then finally, number six, having talked about what we say, what we do, this is about how do you spend? What are you spending? Are you just spending your money or are you spending your life? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or to flip it around, where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. And if our heart is for Christ, how do we give of ourselves? What is the currency we use? What is our investment process? It said that you make a living by what you get. You know this one. And you make a life by what you give. We give to Christ. We give to the work of the, of the church. We give of ourselves. We give our money, our time, our talents. But more importantly than that, is that where our heart is? To be where Christ is. Christ is out there in the world doing what he can. And he calls us to join him to support him, to resource him. In the psalm that we read today, for he does not despise nor abhor the poor in their poverty, neither does he hide his face from them, but when they cry to him, he hears them. And the words from the gospel this morning, when Jesus says, for what will it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Indeed, what can he give? in return for his soul. God has given us so much. He's entrusted so much to us. And we we have the privilege of participating and giving back and participating and aligning ourselves with him. He will take care of us. He will bless us. And he will bless others through us as we align our lives in these six categories to be a disciple of the risen Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.